Welcome to the Leadership Zone. I'm your host, Sheila Walsh, Leadership Development Specialist, Coach and Researcher. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Zone. Today we have Sarah Slattery and I've known Sarah, I think on and off for about two, three years, is it? Professionally speaking, and we've had many a deep dialogue and reflective understanding of the workplace and burnout and well-being and systems and so I thought Sarah was the perfect person to bring on today. Now I'll let Sarah introduce herself because she'll do a better job than I will but what I will say is that when I was speaking to Sarah about who this episode would help the most we discussed the fact that it would probably help professional women who are doing everything that they think they need to do. They're trying to do everything right but feeling burnt out. Obviously, for everyone else, it will also be valuable if you're feeling burnt out professionally. But Sarah takes a particular lens to think about some of the systemic influences on women and how that then influences our relationship with work and our relationship with how we go about our work. So before we get into that stuff, Sarah, give the listeners a very brief introduction to who you are and your background so that they understand where you're coming from. Sure. Thank you, Sheila, for having me on your lovely podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, so I have about 20 years experience in helping a variety of people navigate change in their lives. So my original background was in the community and voluntary sector. Then I moved into the public sector, into education, welfare services. My background is in community development, sociology. And then more recently, for the past five years, I have my own private practice supporting women to really gain more energy in their life, find their purpose, figure out what's wrong with them. And I I put that in inverted commas because there's usually nothing wrong with them, but that's how they're feeling. So they're feeling burnt out. They're feeling, why can't I do this? They're feeling not enoughness. And I support those women to find more meaning, purpose and energy in their lives. Okay. Okay. You have a really interesting background. Anyone who's had a conversation with you you would know that you have such a kind of a multifaceted way of looking at people, needs, challenges, and all of those things. So tell me first a little bit about when women are feeling that something's wrong with them, because I, I hear that all the time in, in the Women in Leadership program that I do with UCD, we hear it all the time, this idea that women need fixing. So tell me a little bit about how that usually looks when you're speaking to someone. So it usually rises as somebody um, arriving to me to this work with I just can't do it anymore. And the things that they did in their 20s and possibly their 30s are no longer working. So they worked at one point or they they feel that they worked at one point and you reach a certain point, maybe late 30s, early 40s, where they can no longer continue. And they're wondering, well, I used to be able to do this. I used to be able to like put in 10 hour days. I used to be able to just throw together a document. I used to be able to put up with that creep of a manager that I have. I used to be able to do these things and now I can't. What is wrong with me that I can no longer do that? And so it's very internalized, very much like, why can't I do it? Because I think that the wider view of what success is in the workplace and in careers is very skewed and it's very narrow and it's very linear you know it may suit a particular niche in society but it doesn't suit many of us and so it becomes unsustainable and then they you know oftentimes get really sick 
really uh, shows up very clearly in their body because they themselves have not stopped and kind of taken stock. And so their body gives some very, very clear messages. So then our work begins. Mm. It's really interesting when you're saying that what I'm thinking about is I know exactly what you're talking about. I used to be able to do it. I can't do it now. And even if I can do it, some people are like, I don't want to live. Don't that want way. to. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so even yeah. if I can like drag myself through whatever it is I'm dragging myself through, that's not living for a lot of people. And it's making mm. me think about two things. One is the fact that happiness decreases around that age for both men and women. There's like the studies show us that. And then and it increases nobody panic it increases a little later on in our lives it's almost yes. like we get to a peak we realize life is life and we have a little downer and then we we go back into our happiness peak and so i think that that's a kind of a universal maybe development age thing that can happen for people and um, if they've had trauma or they've experienced other things you might find that happens sooner for different reasons yeah. But I'm also thinking about the extra load that women carry. And we hear about this and there's lots of terminology around it. You know, the extra load, the way that women usually have like double shifts. So they have their professional, they have the professional shift. And whether they have kids or not, they often usually have a caring shift as well. Yes. And if they don't have a caring shift officially, like parents, kids, you know, family members are extended, they might have a caring role in their friend circles. So often there's this kind of like additional work that's invisible but socially ex expected of women do you talk about that a lot when you're working with women in this kind absolutely. of absolutely yeah because this is a key part of energy management because energy management isn't just i got eight hours sleep last night and now i can just go and do all the things it is where is all your attention thoughts and actual activities going on a daily basis, right? So that can be just mental stuff. It may not be that you're going to visit your parents, your elderly parents, but maybe you're thinking about them loads or maybe you're making a phone call for them and maybe you're setting up medical appointments. And so we have to do like a full kind of an audit, it sounds like an audit, like that sounds very serious, but where is your energy going every day? And women find themselves in, like you mentioned, in caring, and relationship style, extra extra shifts, extra loads of work. I think a lot of this is, you know, there's a lot of conditioning around that. It's expected mm -hmm. of us. Some people say we're just better at it. You know, whatever the case is, it's extra and it's there and we need to acknowledge it. And if we don't acknowledge it, then we can't kind of go, oh, okay, well, maybe today I can't do that 10 hour shift, maybe today, six hours is enough or maybe today i'm just going to pull back a small bit or i'm not going to be the first person to say yes or when my manager asked me to do that extra thing that really isn't in my job description but i know i'm an easy yes i'm, I'm actually going to say no to that today mm -hmm. so we have to kind of look at all of those pieces and you know and this is broader than this this is why women don't go for positions of authority and leadership a lot because they make very, very rational and calculated decisions that I only have X amount of hours in the day and I have all these other things to do and this will just not fit. Mm. And so, you know, I know there's issues around confidence and all of that, but sometimes it's a really, really smart and calculated decision that the way my life is set up and what is expected of me it's just not going to fit. It's not mm -hmm. going to go. And so I'm just going to stay here because I know I can manage that. And I know I will not be able to manage this. 
Mm. And we know that the, the research around women going into leadership positions is also that on top of all of the additional load that you've just mentioned, there is also an, a tightrope that women in leadership positions need to walk that others don't necessarily. And that's this balance between being respected and likable. When a woman isn't likable, we know that we remove respect and we also then remove authority. But we don't necessarily remove that from others when they're not likable. We accept unlikable people but we're less likely to do that when it's a woman for instance we also know that women when they're in leadership positions are having to manage power dynamics that others don't have to manage and so it's not just that they've got all this extra weight it's that actually being a woman with societal expectations on you stepping into a role that's very visible has an extra weight as well so you have the additional weight and then you have the weight of the role now i'm not saying that to stop women stepping into that if that's what they choose but also i think the idea that that's the only form of success for anyone is mm -hmm. up i think is is a really clever lie because it means that we're all overworking to achieve something that means we get to overwork some more and that Absolutely. might not be what we want and i'm sitting here thinking because you know whenever you talk about one topic if there's a spectrum, you'll hear the other side of the spectrum be curious about, like, what about me? I think it's important to say that this caring load is carried by many people for many different reasons, but we know that the gender of women are socialized more to engage with it. But if you think about anyone, I spoke recently with an organization and people in the organization were saying, men and women were saying, you know, and non-binary people were saying, I get up in the night to take care of people you know in the middle of the night mm. i get two hours sleep because something has happened at home and this isn't always young children it can be older children it can be family members it can be you know multiple different needs and that of course impacts my performance at work yes and yet i've got to pretend it doesn't and almost perform for everyone else while i'm exhausted or you know running on empty literally so when you're talking to people about this and, and women in particular in this case and you're talking about kind of their energy management, which I really love because people always talk about time management as if every hour is the same. And mm -hmm. even if you talk, if you consider more of an intersectional lens, people with disabilities don't have the same time. So they have the same hours, but those hours have completely different values based yes. on multiple things. What is your sense of how women feel about that idea of energy management? Is it easy to grasp? Is it easy to grasp, but difficult to implement? What's your sense of that? It's a bit of both. I think it's getting, I think in recent years, there's been a lot more about this. And so I think a lot more people are on board now with energy management. I think a lot more people are on board now with more cyclical living that we literally are not the same person every day. Like biochemically, we are not the same person every day. And if you're a person who cycles, has a menstrual cycle, you are very different on four, you know, each of the four weeks of that cycle. So that's just on, in your own body. And so everyone else then in your organization is also on a, a different place. So if we can even just grasp onto that as a tool to kind of go, okay, yeah, I'm not, of course I'm not the same as two weeks ago because I'm due my period. And if we can just start putting some of that into our schedule, even at the very least go, right, my period is due this week, this maybe isn't a great time to go and set up that meeting with that person I've wanted to speak to for a while. Maybe that's a day I'm at my desk. Maybe that's a day I work from home. Maybe that's, these are just nice little ways that we can start unhooking from a very structured linear work system 
that isn't really designed for anyone, but it really isn't designed for female bodies and, and, and for a lot of women and a lot of neurodiverse people. You know, it really just doesn't suit many, many people. Mm. I love what you're saying about the like women. It doesn't suit many people. There's two points. One is it, it makes me think about universal design for learning. One of the first it, it's basically inclusive learning processes. And as a mm. dyslexic, I love to see this. I wish it was around when I was a kid. But one of the really amazing exercises is it demonstrates to you how a standard menu, which you think would be more inclusive because it would meet the majority's needs, actually meets the minority's needs. So like the example I was given, and it was a great exercise, was like, okay, well, you know, this is the menu, you stay standing if you can eat everything on the menu. And so there was steak on the menu, so I couldn't eat it because I'm vegetarian. Then they said, okay, well now you absolutely have to eat the potatoes and there's cream in it. And loads of people sat down. So what they did was they demonstrated that even when you think you're doing something pretty average, you're actually Mm. probably not meeting the average needs of people. And that taking a more nuanced view of people's needs is helpful. So that's the first thing I'm thinking about when you say that, because actually I don't think our current structures are at all helpful for most people. That doesn't mean most people don't push forward into them and force yes. themselves. Um, but then the other thing around neurodiversity, and it makes me think about also disabilities and other accessibility needs is, I've learned that organizations who consider women's needs often are naturally doing better a number of other accessibility things because mm-hmm. when you meet any one group's needs, you actually often meet more than that group's needs. So it's a bit like lots of disability changes in society actually benefit most people. Mm. It's not just the group they were originally designed for. And so I suppose what I'm wondering is what kind of, when women are coming to you, I'm imagining that they are, if they're anything like the women who I've seen um, in the past, they're usually have struggled, strived, forced, don't do a lot of the, and I'm going to use this term on purpose, the female card, like they're not trying to get away with things that they, they usually have actually done their best to conform. Yes. And now the conforming is way more costly than previously. The creepy manager, the late nights, the long days, like before the cost was lower, it meant that they gave up things. Whereas a little later on, I think the cost becomes so much higher. They have to make key decisions. Tell me a little bit about how they tend to feel at that point before they're engaging with you, before they're kind of feeling empowered to make the changes. What are the kind of things that they're worrying about, that they're concerned with, that they're turning up to you for? So they're usually doing a lot of things. So when we talk from energy management, they're exhausted, they're burnt out, but they're also trying to do all the things. So go to the gym, you know, do a morning ritual, meditate do their yoga class because if they do all these things then everything else would be fine and as i've often said to some of my clients you cannot meditate your way out of a shitty situation it just meditation is brilliant it is great for calming the nervous system it might buy you some time so that you can figure out what your next steps are but it and other wellness practices are not a solution for when the foundation is completely off. So if you're in a career where you it's and you're working in an organization that's completely going against your value system, or you just can no longer tolerate everything that you've put up with, and you're you're literally up to here, then that's a scary realization that mm. you can't because these women have fixed everything in their lives so far. They have 
got through the the education system, even if they've had undiagnosed neurodivergence, they have managed to excel in college. They have worked their way up in organizations, stopping, reassessing and stepping off, possibly stepping off that hamster wheel uh, can feel like a massive failure, can feel like there it's like almost like two fingers up to feminism. What am I doing leaving this when, uh, you know, this I should be working for women. So all of these beliefs and stories around what success is. So we end up having to do a lot of work on getting really clear on what success is for you. And it's often very, very different to what wider society says it is, what their parents say it is, what they've grown up. And that can bring up a lot of grief. Mm. You know? mm. I think it's interesting because I'm also now wondering about what about the the women who say, actually, I want to I want to continue my career path, but the way I'm doing it isn't work. But I do want the promotion. It's just the way I'm currently doing things. How do you tend to support those women? Yeah. So then that's a, a slightly different path. And again, it's, this is around trying to find out your version of success within that organization and what can be your version of leadership. Because I think we have a very narrow view of what leadership is. Like to me, I have a very broad definition of what work is. Like I include unpaid care work. I include because that, that's important work. And just because our capitalist system doesn't acknowledge that doesn't mean that it's not, you mm. know, so reclaiming that is important. Taking on different ways of leadership and work doing things differently, taking your body into account, taking your team's bodies into account, looking at a wider kind of a, a cycle of the year rather than static quarters that are all supposed to look the same. Really, really connecting with your team and what are their strengths, like really knowing them because there's nothing more disappointing at work when you're unseen and your potential is not realized it's just it's so demotivating isn't it so if we can kind of look at more embodied forms of leadership that really take our humanity into account then you know you can be part of the change within an organization because i don't think everyone needs to leave mm. the corporate workspace i don't think that's for everyone i actually don't think it's sustainable for everyone to leave and set up their own business like everyone has an own individual micro business I really see the future of work. The vision I hold for work is that really great people with really connect to values, really connect to the bigger why, in addition to profit, are running organizations and really manage teams, manage systems, manage organizations in different ways. That's the vision I hold. Oh, and I so really I think people, that. I think you can do that. I think you can do, I don't think it's easy, right? I don't think for a second it's easy, but also leaving and starting something new isn't easy. So yeah, people come to me when they're at that kind of turning point and they've tried all the things and mm. I guess maybe they're ready to look under the hood a little bit more. I really love that. So I'm wondering as I sit here, whether if you were going to leave leaders, regardless of their gender, with some messages about how to, to create that vision that you're talking about, that more humanistic workplace. What are the kind of things you'd like leaders to consider to support all of the people that they work with and their bodies and their reality? What are the kind of practical things that, or the kind of reflections you think are helpful for leaders to take into account to try and co-create that kind of culture and environment and workplace that you're uh, envisioning? Yeah. So, I mean, it's simple, but not easy, right? <laughs> but simply put, it's about knowing that we're human, 
knowing that we're bodies, knowing that we're cyclical and knowing that we all go through different rites of passage at different stages. So even though you may be in a company for 20 years, you're not the same person that you were when you were in a kind of a, I know, 20 something kind of, yeah, I can do everything vibe, right? In your forties, you may have very, very different needs, right? So maybe you can't give all of that energy that you did in your twenties, but what do you have? You have wisdom and you have knowledge and you have experience. And so even just acknowledging that we're at different stages of our lives and we're not always giving, it's not always extraction and output. Can we consider when we're in different stages, what do we give, but also what are our extra additional bonuses at that time? You know, mm. that, that the company can really utilize like, somebody who's in their 50s yeah they're not going to be working till 8 p.m but what do they have they've been around the block a few times they've been through probably two or three recessions they've what do they know and how can we use that and value it that's the thing how can we value it and not just value bums on seats and clocking up the time mm. because i just think that's a real i would call it a real immature way of seeing what people can contribute Mm. you're bringing to mind someone that I've worked with and their presence is one of the most effective mm. experiences I've ever witnessed or had and what I mean by that is that their way of being changes the standard of which the people around them engage because they bring compassion but a high effectiveness so it's not yeah. about being busy for the sake of it but it's also not about being the doer and their level of reflection is so high that when people engage with them, their standard of work improves. Of course. Their relationships become more nuanced. And it's not often that I meet someone and I can witness it and also see it in the work that I'm doing with them. But that comes from not reacting all the time yes. to this desire to prove oneself through output. It comes from their ability to own that while they have some things they have to produce because they work, mm -hmm. they also have something more valuable to add. And when you're saying that that person came to mind straight away and I was like, that's what you're talking about. And as a side note, there's a great episode in Suits and I can't remember <laughs> where it was, but it's when Meghan Markle is in it anyway. And they're like getting rid of the new interns or the new like trainees. And this one does this formula and gets rid of someone and was told not to. And later they saw that where that person sat, the highest performer sat in a circle. And this is actually something that's been tested multiple times, right? That, that people sat around them. So it's a joke on suits, but it's actually a really good thing to know. And while their performance wasn't the highest, hmm. because people were in relationship with them, their performance was. Right. And it turned out that in this, and then the studies kind of talk about this a little bit, but that having people who can help others become their best might produce better outcomes than you measuring that individual's performance themselves. Yes. And yes. if you've ever seen a group of individual contributors, and then you see a team of average contributors, I have seen teams excel beyond any individual's kind of capacity, while I've seen groups of individual contributors not get very far, even though they might individually excel, because yeah something is created in how we are with each other that improves thriving and performance Absolutely. that isn't just down to the technical measurements that we use a lot of the time and that's often what leans then to the culture that people talk about you know the psychological safety it's actually the nuanced transformational relational systemic nuances yeah 
that go beyond that technical measurement that we're used to using in organizations and HR and management processes. So a couple of questions to kind of tie us up a little bit. So is there any quote you would leave our listeners with that you just think is really powerful or that you really resonate with? Yeah, so I read this bell hooks quote every now and then because I just think it really summarizes where a lot of us are while we're still in the old, but we really want to see a new and we may not see the new in our lifetime, but we have to kind of keep going because it can be hard, right? (laughs) So she says to be truly visionary, we have to root our imagination in our concrete reality while simultaneously imagining possibilities beyond our reality. So we're not going to bypass our here and now because some things are shit, right? But at the same time, we can also hold that there's something else and we can dream it and we can vision it mm-hmm. and we don't need to spiritually bypass it. We can be both. And I, I think that's where a lot of us are at this point. I really love that because one of my key challenges when I work with organizations is they don't have a hope. They have a fantasy. Yeah. They have a fantasy of what should be without acknowledging what is. And when you acknowledge what is, you can then start to connect to the hope and the, the dream. But the fantasy is almost like if it wasn't this way, everything would be OK. And that's just yeah. fantasy because it is this way. So I, I really love that. Is there a pet peeve you have about like leadership or the workplace that you're willing to share with the listeners? Because I love pet peeves. They tell me something about people in ways that I don't think like tell me something about yourself does. Is there a pet peeve that you have? Mm. Yeah, I have one. One that comes to mind is when leaders or managers don't have the confidence or the ability or the skills to kind of manage somebody who isn't maybe doing their piece. And then they ask the same person or the same two people all the time to do these extra tasks. And because the whole likability piece in the workplace, you know, a lot of these women will just say yes. And so then they end up getting more and more exhausted at work. And then that causes resentment then kind of within a team. Yeah. So I think that that's something that it just causes a lot of problems disproportionately to what if you just had the conversation with the person in the first place, I think it would just solve a lot of things. You know, it's that uh, weaponizing competence. So we see it in yes. like, yeah. heterosexual relationships all the time. But I think in workplaces, it's even more effective, actually, because the manager avoiding the discomfort or the leader avoiding the discomfort with the person creates yes. discomfort in the system instead of in the yes. moment with people. That comes up a lot in coaching is how do I manage the people who feel unmanageable to me? So I, yeah. I totally resonate. But I think your point about then what happens next is that the issue is passed on to people usually already carrying an extra load. And that's the real centralist yeah issue. and when you start somewhere you're going to say yes and you're like yeah i can do that because you know you're young and you're fresh and then after a while you're like why am i the person who's always asked to do this you know so then that can create yeah can create within team resentment and stuff it's not great it does it does okay so before we finish there and thank you so much i think if you're willing to come on the next time i'd love to have you to kind of explore it further your details will be below for anybody to look you up get in contact have a conversation and i highly recommend that they do and um, having kind of crossed your paths paths with you for the last two three years and seen your practice i think it's it would be really valuable for lots of people in in that position to contact you but mm-hmm. is there one piece of advice you would leave listeners with that or leaders with that you think would help towards that kind of vision or that hope you have for the workplace in the future? I think get really clear on your own values and your own version of success. And that does not mean that 
you plow through life always wanting <laughs> your values to be because uh, you know we see that a lot there's a lot of polarity in the world right now with people claiming well these are my values so i'm just living by them you have to think of other people as well but i think as an anchor point what is your version of success and it sounds a bit twee but it's actually really really important because we continue for sometimes years without taking any reflection on do i actually even want this or was this something my dad wanted or was this something my leave and search biology teacher wanted for me and i i liked that attention you know the repercussions of that can go on for years so even just taking stock and going who am i what are my values what is my version of success in my life and my work and kind of be clear on those and just start weaving them in teeny tiny ways throughout your day i think that's a nice way to just unhook from the larger systems that are at play i really love that yeah i think it's really important repeatedly in the day you know, I hear people, somebody goes, I don't even know why I'm doing any of this. And I'm like, that could have been remedied if you were asking yourself each time you make a decision, if yeah. this was serving what you wanted to serve or what you felt was important. Um, and most of us lose connection with those things as we go, because other things are louder, more demanding, more immediate, yes. more anxiety inducing. But I do think there's something about that connection with self so that you can inform your decisions. Um, Absolutely. I really love that. So thank you very much, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Your details will be in the show notes and to follow up and speak to you if there's anything they'd like to contact you about. And you're based in Ireland, so you're working off the Irish time zone. That's just worth listeners hearing. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, Sheila. No problem. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Zone. We can continue this conversation over on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is at Sheila Walsh one or at LinkedIn, you'll find me under Sheila Walsh. To book a free consultation to discuss your leadership needs or the leadership development needs of your organisation, simply visit my website www.sheilawalsh.com and book a free leadership consultation. I look forward to hearing from you.